It's Ryan Grant, Green Bay Packers, and I'd like to introduce the Packers podcast. I am very excited. I absolutely love the Packers. <laughs> yes, sir. With Packer People 12 and Big B. Big B, nice to meet you, Big B. Social media fans, if they traded up to get Jordan Love. Carry the G. Packers legendary quarterback, Brett Hundley. MySpace and the Cheesehead TV comment. Okay, that, that's just stupid. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Your names are awesome, so everything else is good to go, but let's... uh. Let's have fun talking about Packers stuff. Go Pack Go. What is going on, everybody? This is Joey of Underage Packers. This week, I am going solo, not joined by my great co-host, Big B, as usual. Big B is out hunting some tigers, hunting some ducks this weekend. He's out camping. So, I thought I would just take a little solo episode. You'll get an episode out for you. And really, take a look back at these past four weeks that have been fantastic to start off the 2020 season. We're going to talk about a lot of different stuff today. Matt LaFleur this Packers offense comparing it to former teams and most importantly looking towards stuff that are way too early to look at let's start off with head coach Matt LaFleur through 20 regular seasons game he is currently 17 and 3 which is unbelievable especially you look back at where they are ending off their relationship with Mike McCarthy who has a pretty bad stretch for his last two years. You can say what you want about Brett Hundley and that injury. And yes, I I completely blame, or at least mostly blame, um, Brett Hundley for a lot of those losses and not having Aaron Rodgers. But, in those last few games, this is pretty unrelated, but those games with Brett Hundley, it was so frustrating because it really felt like he was not adjusting his offense at all with Aaron Rodgers out, and I think that's exactly the opposite of what we are seeing now with Matt LaFleur. He is a master at adjusting, especially in this 2020 season, and he can work his players to their best strengths. So let's talk about that Matt LaFleur hiring. Going in to the coaching carousel, the coaching candidates, looking at all those interviews, the craziness. Um, There was quite a few different teams. I believe it's Cardinals. Obviously, us, the Packers, the Dolphins. Um, There's a lot of different teams looking for coaches. So, a few of the candidates I specifically remember, the main one was Josh McDaniels, who I personally didn't like because he was really, really too gimmicky to me. I felt he was too much of just a headline grabber. He really leached off, relied on Bill Belichick quite a bit. Not that I'm discrediting him but I feel now after the countless jobs he's denied after the countless interviews he's really just waiting for Bill Belichick to either retire or die (laughs) I mean that that's what I feel at this point um yeah Chuck Pagano Jim Caldwell Dan Campbell of the the Dolphins Mike Munchak of the Steelers Adam Gase who we also interviewed but Matt LaFleur, Mark Murphy, and Brian Gutekinds also felt pretty strong about, I remember specifically in the press conference, they, they felt really good about him after uh, their first interview with him. They slept on it, and they are like, yes, this is the guy. And he so far has definitely been that. And going into this, you got to remember, we're looking at all these different guys. I mean, besides Campbell and Munchak, a lot of these guys had head coaching experience. Matt LaFleur did not. He had... One or two years of play calling under his belt. But other than that, really all on his resume is being a part of the greatness. Being a part of the Falcons' 2016 Super Bowl run. Being a part of the Rams' impeccable, their great title. 
um, working with Sean McVay in 2017. His stint with the Titans is really what I find most interesting. Um, there was a lot of talk, especially when we drafted A.J. Dillon, that he loves these bruising backs and that he was so in, uh, enamored by Derrick Henry. He wanted that on the Packers. But if you look back at it, the pa- the Titans offense in 2018 with Matt LaFleur as their play caller was pretty bad in the run game. It was pretty bad using Derrick Henry to his full extent. So it's really interesting. I, d- I mean, I definitely think he saw what the Titans did, his, his former team, in the 2019 playoffs. I'm like, shoot, man. I got A.J. Dillon still on the board to bring him over here. But I don't think he would really saw what he was doing in Tennessee and thought he wanted to do that with A.J. Dillon. I could be wrong. I'm not a, a Tennessee philosopher, but... Yeah, I, I don't think he that Derrick Henry and A.J. Dillon comparison with Matt LaFleur I think is a little bit off. But anyways, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I think the Falcons and the Titans really didn't have good reviews on him. The, the, the Falcons actually had some bad words on him. The Titans, the stats just were not there. The numbers were not there for Matt LaFleur to sp- support him. You know, so it was a really interesting hire. A really bold hire for Matt Mark Murphy to bring in a guy who had no head coaching experience under his belt, a young gimmicky guy, when in the past they brought over Mike McCarthy, who had spent quite a little time with the Chiefs, the Saints, the 49ers. He's, he broke, he worked his way up quite a bit in the NFL. You have Mike Holmgren, who was the Niners offense coordinator for quite a decade or two. So, hiring Matt LaFleur is pretty bold, pretty uncharacteristic with the Packers, but so far he's been doing great. Last year, I think we saw a lot of confused looks from him, a lot of confusing different stuff, as you would expect from a rookie head coach. He came in here and he won 13 games in his first season, which is unbelievable. There was a lot of things that turned around the Packers in the 2019 offseason. Props to Brian Gutekinds for completely turning around this organization. And he he really doesn't get enough credit, but that's another topic for another bye week. But... Goodens, yeah, you bring in Zadarius, Preston Smith, and then Matt LaFleur rejuvenating this team. A few things have been clear these first four weeks. Matt LaFleur is completely improved. He doesn't need certain bounces to win a game anymore. And he's established his name, and he established what he's going to do to you. I think week four versus Atlanta is Matt LaFleur's best coach game of his career. We only won by 14 points against an 0-4 team, but that was after... Two really long drives by the defense. Poor play all game from them. And he's still throwing up 30 up there. Pretty pretty good. And he had that game secured pretty much the first few minutes of the third quarter. Great coach game by Matt LaFleur. I thought we saw a lot of different looks. I'm not quite the scheme, the offensive guru as some people are. I'm not quite the I'm not the guy who when he goes watches film knows exactly what they're doing. I'm just like, yes, great catch in VS. But definitely have seen a lot of different stuff from Matt LaFleur. I feel like every week it's something new that he's emphasizing in the offense. Very clear. And now he's kind of meshing that together. And that's what I'm really interested to see. As we get later down the year, how is he going to put all these things together? How is he going to put this puzzle together that completely forms the Packers offense? And I think you got to ask the question at this point, and he's had one of the most historic starts to a coaching career ever. 
where does he rank among other NFL coaches? Obviously, you got the big veteran guys like Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, John Harbaugh. Andy Reid is probably also in that tier. But then you get into the second rank where he definitely deserves some consideration to be talked about with guys like uh, Doug Peterson, Mike Tomlin, and then some younger guys like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, that tree. He definitely deserves to be in that second tier of guys who really know what they're doing. They're going to win every week. And I feel if he didn't have Aaron Rodgers attached to him, he would probably have a lot more consideration for that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing that we should just completely disregard its help of Aaron Rodgers because that has definitely helped, especially in 2020. Not that I don't think we'd win these games with maybe a little average tier quarterback, but Aaron Rodgers definitely helps him win some games there. And my favorite thing from Matt LaFleur this year is just his overall efficiency on offense as well as being able to count on guys, using his resources, using his guys to his best ability. Devontae Adams, Kenny Clark going out and we're still dominating, especially that Devontae Adams and Allen Lazard injury. He has completely dominated in the receiving games, even without his top two wide receivers. That is completely insane. And for all the talk, all the talk about the Packers not having any uh, wide receivers, not having any weapons, not they're wasting Aaron Rodgers' prime. They're wasting the draft pick on Jordan Love, who might provide them with 15 more years of fantastic quarterback play. They're wasting everything. They're wasting their offseason. He comes out here. He loses his top two wide receivers, who are absolutely phenomenal. Devontae Adams, one of the top ten in the game. Alan Lazard, who is immensely underrated. And he has Malik Taylor, Darius Shepard, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling going out there. Are you serious? You're going to tell me that Matt LaFleur, like Aaron Rodgers, doesn't have any weapons? Aaron Rodgers has got him well over 200 yards every single game. At least two touchdowns in every game. And I guess this kind of brings us to a bigger point. Matt LaFleur and Brian Goodikens know what they're doing. And... Even I thought going into the season, well, first of all, no one expected the Packers offense to be this explosive, even with even with Devontae Adams or Alan Lazard in there. But just the fact that we're throwing to Robert Tanyan, MVS, we're throwing to everybody. Everybody's having big games receiving and running-wise. It's absolutely insane. And, yeah, they know what they're doing. I, I, the, how much better does the Jordan Love pick look right now? Okay, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers was playing like crap, maybe it'd look even better. But just the fact that who needs wide receivers? Who needs weapons? Like, it is just so mind-boggling. I'm going to mention it again. Malik Taylor and Darius Shepard as Aaron Rodgers' two and three weapons, and he's still throwing for four passing touchdowns. Incredible. And, you know, he should be getting a lot more recognition for that. I'm rambling here. But there's a lot of credit that needs to be given to this 2020 Packers team, no matter what their record is come January, no matter how many games they win in January or February, there is a lot to give credit to, especially for how much hate the front office and everybody a part of the Packers organization got this offseason. Matt LaFleur should definitely be in there for the, one of the top coaches in the league at this point, and I really hope that continues for the next five to ten years. Let's get a little more into Devontae Adams specifically comparing this injury to last year's injury, which is not not a typical thing to do, but we've now gone two weeks without Devontae Adams, and I gotta be honest, the offense looks a lot better 
when we're not forcing it to Devontae Adams. We're moving around a lot more. And I don't know how what necessarily is the fix to that when we don't have Devontae when we have Devontae Adams. How, what are we supposed to do? You know, because I don't think Aaron Rodgers is forcing it to Devontae Adams at all. And he's definitely he's gonna score quite a bit. So it's better than having Darius Shepard and Malik Taylor out there. But we got to figure out a way to spread the ball around quite a bit more when we have our start top two wide receivers. Not that it's a problem getting the ball in their hands, but we definitely are love to see this and have Devontae Adams in there, and I think we'd be unstoppable. Biggest thing for this bye week that I'm most excited about is resting Kenny Clark and Devontae Adams. We were expecting them maybe to have an outsider chance to start in week four. Uh, that obviously didn't happen, so I think you should feel pretty confident, especially that we have a much bigger, scarier opponent in Tampa than we did against uh, the Falcons. Rustin on the bye week. Matt LaFleur said some crap like uh, the, uh, the the bye week has nothing to do with resting them for their end. Sure, Matt. I think I've praised the Packers' offense enough, so let's move on a little bit here. Let's talk about... Team awards, team standouts. I guess let's go with this format. Let's assign awards to these players for four weeks. Let's start off with rookies. Offensive rookie of the year has to go to John Runyon. In my opinion, we haven't seen much, obviously, from Jordan Love. A.J. Dillon hasn't been too much involved in Josiah DeGuara has a season-ending injury. John Runyon, simply because of the fact of his week one performance, which is all you need to see. He also got quite a few snaps in week two. That's all you need to see to say, that's a pretty good draft pick. That's some pretty good early returns there. I think he can really be another guy like Lane Taylor who you can rely on. Hopefully, he's not as injury prone as Lane. But if he can be a guy where you can throw in at any position, which is a lot of what he did at Michigan, then holy cow, we got a lot of great players on this offense line, whether it be David Bakhtiari, who hopefully we have back after this season, Alton Jenkins, who I'd argue is the most versatile offense lineman in football and is in his sophomore year. He's one of the best offensive guards and could play offensive tackle pretty well, in my opinion. Center Corey Lindsley, who is probably going to be gone after this year, but he's still one of the best at his positions. Right guard, which is a little bit shaky. Right guard and right tackle, you got Rick Wagner and Billy Turner, but Either way, we got a really versatile, really talented offense line, and I hope John Rennan can be a part of that for the next uh, at least four years. Next up, defensive rookie of the year. This one has to go to Chris Barnes uh, so far, and a lot could change uh, simply because of the fact because of Kamal Martin coming back from an injury and Jonathan Garvin. I love Jonathan Garvin. I love Jonathan Garvin, okay? I just... He's coming in for Rashawn Gary, who I love. I never called you a bust, Rashawn. Just stating that right here. Jonathan Garvin has looked like an absolute beast. He definitely has outshined the coach's expectations. For a 7th rounder to be able to step in for a 12th overall pick. And obviously there's going to be a lot, some loss there. But it just feels like he's in the face. He's put in quite a bit of pressure. On every play, there's probably obviously some stuff to improve, but when I look and I see Jonathan Garvin on the field, I, I see him getting in the quarterback's face, which he, you love to speed. But yeah, for now, it's Chris Barnes just because to, for, to be an undrafted free agent who wasn't even on the roster before week one, he's done outstanding, especially after Christian Kirksey's injury, to go in there, have the communications helmet on, absolutely insane. MVP, 
Aaron Rodgers. I believe he's at 13 touchdowns now, well over 1,000 yards. Aaron Rodgers, MVP, 100%. He's also going to get that Offensive Player of the Year nod at this point. Like I said, he's out there balling, throwing dimes and second signs every week. You love to see it. Defense Player of the Year, I'll go with Jair Alexander. Now, uh, Zedarius puts up a good argument. Jair has been insanely consistent. Uh, he allowed Calvin Ridley, like we said on this past week's episode, a grand total of zero catches for one of the best wide receivers in the game. Absolutely unbelievable, especially when the Falcons had a lot of passing downs. Um, did great against Adam Thielen, had a great safety on Kirk Cousins, had that great interception into bobbling one, getting his hands in there a lot, forcing some incompletions, great stuff from Jerry Alexander. Finally, comeback player of the year is so difficult. Comeback player of the year, I'm going to go with the interesting choice, Rashawn Gary, who we were just talking about. And there there really isn't a lot to come back from other than the fact that he sat pretty much the whole year, pretty much never saw the field and had a lot of fans calling him a bust, all that bull crap. He looked really impressed with the first two weeks that he was, first two and a half games he was in. He can definitely take away snaps from Preston Smith, who I'm really not impressed with so far. Sean Gary looks like a beast. Let's end this bye week episode off by looking ahead. Like I said, I don't even know why we are previewing or even looking at this stuff at this point because it's way too early. A lot of ball game left in the season. But let's talk about playoff teams and who the Packers could potentially be facing. Won't look too much into it, but just want to give a quick recap and thoughts on how things are going on around the league. Let's talk specifically about the NFC North at first. Vikings and Lions right now look like the bottom feeders. The Bears, though, and I know I know a lot of people dis- are dismissing them, and including my co-host, Big B. The Bears, they don't scare me. I think we can beat them. I don't think they're, they're too scary of a team. But I see a lot of the 2019 Packers in them. Okay, having four wins right now is pretty darn good for the Chicago Bears. Defense looks pretty great. Cleo Mack is back to his prime. Akeem Hicks, still an underrated beast. Definitely see them slipping into the playoffs, but like I said, a lot of ball game left. 49ers will be interesting to see how the rest of their season goes. Then you got, obviously, the NFC least. We have no idea who that's. I would say a lot of season left, but man, some bad returns through the first four weeks. Then you got... The Seahawks in the NFC West, which is a pretty interesting division. You got the Cardinals, who are on a roll right now. The Seahawks, who have put up pretty much just as the same amount of points as the Packers have through four weeks. Seahawks and the Packers definitely look like the top two teams to be in the NFC, and probably even in the NFL at this point. Hopefully, we get a conference championship game at Lambeau. There is just something so special about this team, and I talked about it in our episode this past Tuesday. There is something really special about this team and I think the perfect analogy for it is the whole world is the NFL but the Packers they have their little space in Titletown they have their space of small town blue collar Green Bay they are there they are crafting greatness and that's where we're going to end this solo episode off of Underage Packers thanks so much for watching Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram I will be back with Big B this Friday, previewing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game with the one and only Matt Ramage. Can't thank you guys enough for watching. Go Pack Go!